0: Welcome everyone to another episode of where's this going before we get started today I want to start off by thanking my sponsor us wellness meats at us wellness meats They supply a variety of special diets and have hundreds of paleo keto whole 30 sugar-free and AIP friendly foods We encourage people to know your food and know your farmer "'Their food and farms have been featured "'in numerous major publications, "'best-selling cookbooks and broadcasts, "'including the New York Times, Chicago Herald, "'Paleo Magazine, and many, many others. "'It really does make a difference. "'Put the best quality fuel in your body "'and get the best results. "'Grass-fed and pasture-raised foods "'are nature's high-octane fuel.'" Enjoy gourmet dining in the comfort of your own home. If you've never had grass-fed steaks, you truly don't know what you're missing out on. New York strips, T-bones, filet mignons, ribeyes, all grass-fed and grass-finished on sustainable and ethical family farms. Served in fine dining establishments all over the country and in homes just like yours, all natural has never been so delicious. Use promo code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, for 15% off your next order today. And also, big thank you to the Republic of Tea. Support for Where's This Going comes from the Republic of Tea. The Republic of Tea enriches people's lives with great tasting premium teas and herbs, innovation and education, emphasizing a sip by sip rather than a gulp by gulp lifestyle, offering over 300 different varieties. The Republic of Tea has delicious aromatic selections for everyone. Check out the new beautifying botanicals and organic single sips as well as Save the Classics like Ginger Peach Black Tea and organic double green matcha every shipment includes free samples so you can discover new tastes along with all of your previous favorites visit republicoftea.com today to explore the many ways to delight in tea reward yourself as you create your own tea ritual with the republic of tea listeners to this podcast can get free shipping using code p-o-d-c-a-s-t-f-s that's podcast f-s until the end of 2019 for free shipping and my next guest, he was born and raised in Boston. He is a huge idol of mine. He is the lead play-by-play commentator for the UFC. He is the absolute gold standard of broadcasting. Please welcome John Annick. live. Joined by John Anik. Thank you so much, sir, for taking the time. It means the world. My pleasure to be with you, buddy. How are you? Good, good, good. So as I said just a few seconds ago, I like to start off by seeing if my guest has a little something or a story that the world doesn't already know about John Anik.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll give you two things. I mean, a lot of people know that I'm I'm, I'm an identical twin, uh, but I don't think people maybe quite realize how much of a role that plays in my life you know he happens to live three miles from my house right now which wasn't always the case but uh it's very weird when you got somebody walking this earth who sounds like you looks like you thinks like you uh shares dna with you uh so it's a very special bond and uh certainly something that's a special part of my life uh the thing i think that ufc fans would find interesting was that i did have to uh I had to box a fraternity brother in a tough man competition. Did you win? Uh, And I won. Yeah, I mean, I got called out by a dude who smoked like a pack of cigarettes a day. So, uh, you know, not that my lungs weren't a little black, I guess, back then. But, uh, you know, I had to win that fight. And it was three rounds. Uh, It was three minutes per round. We had lacrosse gloves and lacrosse helmets. And uh, we were both hands on our knees in that third and final round. Just sucking and win. So uh, it
0: went to a decision?
1: Went to a decision. I couldn't get him out of there. No body shots. Everything was to the head. So it's like, you know, there's only so much you could do, I guess. But uh, maybe not enough power on my side. You are know?
0: we talking unanimous or a split? Was it a close Oh, yeah. Call?
1: No, the, the judges were uh, unified. I think it was two rounds to one, though. I did drop a round in there. So
0: <laughs> Beautiful. Um. So first question for you is, did you ever imagine you started with the UFC in 2011? Did you yes, ever sir. imagine that here you are today as the lead play-by-play commentator for the UFC?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think when you leave ESPN, I think ultimately your goal would be that eventually you'd be able to ascend to to the top fights and doing the title fights. You know, I certainly think it helps me do the job now that I was so immersed in sort of not the bottom half of the roster, but I was doing all those small shows. So, you know, you're capping fights that aren't necessarily title fights, you know. So when you get a chance to do the big fights, I think uh, it gives you a real opportunity to – to sort of open up a little bit when it comes to your play by play drawer. So it's been great. You know, it's been fun. Um, But yeah, certainly. I mean, I think anytime you, you leave ESPN and you sort of think about what could have been had I stayed there, maybe you get your own show one day and everything else, um, you know, you hope to ascend to the number one job. I didn't think it would happen this quickly necessarily, but uh, as I, you know, used to tell my broadcasting students, you gotta be ready whenever that opportunity comes. And I guess, thankfully to whatever degree I was ready
0: did you always know you wanted to go into broadcasting?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was a clean sports writer, which I think was my initial hope. Uh, but I kept running into, uh, better writers. You know, my copy was always clean Felix, but, uh, I just wasn't a great creative writer. And then I felt like when I would have to converse and get into an argument with guys about sports, uh, I could articulate myself pretty well. So I gravitated that way. And, uh, Got a couple lucky breaks along the way. And here we are, I guess, you know,
0: were you always I mean, you know, it, what, what amazes me about people like yourself and Rogan and, you know, the best commentators out there is how comfortable you guys are talking. Obviously, it's part of the job. How do you have you always been comfortable conversing and, you know, quickly analyzing things on the dot or is it something that you that you have to work for?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I always liked public speaking. I I never minded being in front of a crowd. I get more nervous speaking to like a kindergarten class than I do going on television for the UFC. It's the truth. I don't know why I have that emotion going into like read to my daughter's class versus going on TV in front of a million people. Um, But yeah, you know, I, I, I was certainly not a valedictorian, but like I gave my high school graduation speech and I always enjoyed being up in front of a crowd and never really had any issue with that. Um, But, yeah, I guess, you know, my twin brother was always the performer. You know, I was sort of laying back in the cut. I just wanted to be a sports writer, be on the radio and not have my face on TV. But uh, one thing kind of led to another, I guess. But, yeah, I guess always comfortable. Uh, I try to be a better listener, I guess, nowadays, you know.
0: I was watching an interview of you recently where you say and and talks about your preparations for UFC events. You say cram is a very ugly word for TV preparation. How do you go about in your preparations and, you know, trying to ultimately not cram as much as you can?
1: Yeah, I forget what I said exactly about cramming, right? There's a negative connotation with cram because in some way it insinuates you haven't gotten ahead of the preparation. I can assure you when I'm doing five UFC live events in six weeks, there's only so much prep you can do. But, you know, it's an open book test, as Brian Stan always used to say, so you might as well show up with some fucking notes, right? I mean, they don't take them away from you when you get to the arena. Uh, And would I prep more hours if I didn't have three kids under the age of nine? I don't see how I wouldn't be able to prep more, right? If you think about it, like, what would I do with all those hours that I parent I would probably be watching film, you know, Um, but I do a healthy amount right now for sure. But I think that uh, you try to avoid cramming and you try to get as ahead of it as you can um, so that when you do have those last few hours, uh, you can maximize those as well, I guess, you know. But, dude, our shows are beasts, man. I mean, 26, 28 fighters, uh, you know, I mean, you're watching these things, right? It's, uh, It's an animal unlike a football game, I can assure you of that.
0: Will you kind of take us through, for one event, what it looks like? Are you watching tape? Are you listening to interviews? Are you How do you kind of gather all the material? And ultimately, I mean, you just have, you know, a couple, you know, 25, 30 seconds when they're walking out. And all, there's, there's such limited information that you're going to end up using. How do you go about selecting that?
1: right we probably only use about 30 percent of what we prepare if that unfortunately i mean especially when there's a quick fight those walkouts oftentimes are not televised certainly in the u.s you're not getting every single walkout uh but the preparation process i think has evolved you know we now talk to every fighter either by phone or in person which obviously is a very important thing to do but to have that access to every single fighter during fight week is key um you know the voiceover work starts about 10 days out some of the combo features and things that you hear in the arena all gets voiced on this headset that i'm using right now talking to you um and then my fighter card process usually begins saturday or sunday and you know i've I've posted them on instagram you know they probably take me 10 or 12 hours to do the whole card because i handwrite everything uh helps helps my old ass commit this stuff to memory you know um but uh it's a process man i mean you really have to love it i do watch film oftentimes i'll be like writing my fighter card i'll have the film on um But as I say, man, it's like if the fight card somehow got delayed five hours, we could maximize that time. It's like there's never enough time in theory when you have 26 athletes, you know, every other week at least.
0: Will you talk about that first time that you were called to do – to be cage side? What's going going through your head? Are you nervous?
1: (laughs) Well – you know, uh, once the fight starts, right, you you lean back on your strengths. So I did Bellator season one in 2009, and I remember telling my fiance, I think at the time, like, dude, they got the wrong guy. Like, what am I doing going to call these fights right now? But once the fight starts, you know, you talk and you try to play to your strengths. And I did go down that rabbit hole recently and listen to some of my Bellator stuff from 10 years ago. And I gave, I was much more an analyst then, right? Like I'm really supposed to stay in my lane and not be an analyst. I'm supposed to call the shots as they happen. I was given too many opinions probably back then would be my, my biggest criticism, but yeah, man, you just, I I can't be a lifelong martial artist in that seat, right? Because I'm not a lifelong martial artist. So I could try to cram, right? And, you know, do more, not skip as many jujitsu classes as I do right now. Um, But I have to play to my strengths, which, uh, is, I believe, a sports broadcast. And, uh, you know, my instincts from now watching this fight pretty, uh, pretty aggressively for, you know, 15 years.
0: How did you get interested with MMA as a, in general?
1: I was hosting a boxing radio show and Gary Shaw, who was starting elite XC invited our boxing show to go on the road to Tunica, Mississippi to elite XC one, I think it was. And Star-studded man. Gina Carano fought Julie Kedzie. Bigfoot fought Cabbage Cohea. Charles Crazy Horse Bennett against K.J. Nunes. On and on it went. Mike Pyle was on the card. Uh, I'm leaving out some studs, too. Main event was uh, Frank Shamrock and Henzo Gracie. So I go as a sort of a um, close-minded boxing radio host. And I was blown away watching Mixed Martial Arts live in person for the first time. That was 2007. I've pretty much been hooked ever since, you know. And uh, I will certainly watch every UFC pay-per-view, working it or otherwise, uh, till the day I die.
0: What's it like internally being on the inside of uh, MMA and UFC in particular to see, you know, such an exponential rise in such a short period of time? I mean, you see how the weights, I mean, you, just did, you were just in Australia for 57,000. Yeah. what's it like on the inside to see a sport grow so quickly you know
1: when you don't get asked that question regularly you don't stop and think about it um, because it's on to boston and then 10 days later i got new york city you know so it really i appreciate the question uh i think when i get get some distance from it maybe i'll allow myself to sort of think about how amazing uh the run has been but Watching the the evolution of the UFC athlete, even if you just look at, like, the calf kicks as one example and how all of a sudden guys are rendering their opponent one-legged fighters very early on in these uh, fights, it's a trend that certainly wasn't there, 2011, 2012, 13, and on and on it goes. So uh, that, I think, has been the coolest part, to see the athletes get better, to see the sport evolve, to see the roster of 600 um all be worthy of their roster spots right now is is pretty incredible to look at the depth and uh television deals and everything else man it's been pretty crazy but uh these shows are a bear man so i'm i'm sort of in it tunneled right now
0: have you been able to even yourself in your own career just take a step and realize seven eight years ago i wasn't doing i mean now you're on every single pay-per-view the biggest events does it ever feel weird to you have you had a second to process it yourself Sometimes I think you think
1: about it when you do get the opportunity to be a fan again, like this past weekend. And I watched the Tampa show and it's like, wow, I mean, I wish it wasn't seven hours, but this is pretty fun to be able to watch these fights. Uh, so sometimes I miss being able to sit around with my brothers and watch a championship fight. Um, but yes, it, what a blessing, man. Uh, there's nothing like uh, the adrenaline of a pay-per-view as a broadcaster. You know, I'd imagine an NFL playoff game might have a similar feel, but I don't know. Uh, the intensity of a UFC championship fight for me as a fan, uh, is crazy. Like it feels like a Super Bowl every time there's a UFC belt on the line. And I don't think those emotions would change if I was sitting home for these fights now. Um, but I'm certainly glad I'm there.
0: Are you self-critical when you hear yourself, when you're rewatching fights and you hear your broadcasting, are you someone who like, who hears and you're like, I shouldn't have said that, or I would have done this differently. Or do you just, are you accept the way it is and, and happy with the way you prepare
1: Yeah. I mean, you can't, you just got to move on, right? Like Bill Belichick says, you know, it's on to fucking Cincinnati. I mean, you're going to be judged by every utterance over seven hours and that's just the way it is. So you just kind of got to deal with it. And that sort of becomes your new reality. I mean, Dana White sort of warned me of as much back in 2011. And, uh, that's just kind of the way it is. Uh, you try to have those instances be fewer and further between when you're listening and you're cringing and you're like, oh God, you know, but yeah, you get sick of the sound of your own voice, right? I have an identical twin brother, so I already hear my own voice and then you talk for a living. So I'd imagine my children are very sick of my voice uh, at this point.
0: We'll take a quick break because I want to talk about Manscaped. Support for Where's This Going comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below the belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for all of your family jewels. How many men here use the same trimmer on their balls and their face? Men, I got news for you. That is just nasty. That's why my friends over at Manscaped created the only tool you need to shave your balls. It's called the Lawn Mower 2.0 for a reason. The Lawn Mower 2.0 is an electric trimmer worthy of getting up close and personal with your family jewels. Best part is it won't nick or snag your nuts. It's perfect for travel It's small, so it fits in your travel bag. It has a convenient USB charger, and it's TSA-approved. And of course, let's not forget about the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits, so why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? When it comes to hygiene, Manscaped has you covered. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code WTG at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job and your body will thank you. Again, that's 20% off and free shipping with the code WTG at manscaped.com. Go check it out today. Now let's get back to it. Will you talk about your relationship with Dana? I mean, we see how he manages the, the UFC from the outside, but internally what he's like as, a, as the big boss of the UFC.
1: Well, he's still in charge of the entire live production. You know, he still fine tooth combs the entire production and is very hands on. And, you know, humbly, I think our whole team has really gotten into a good groove when it comes to these live events and doing not just 41 out of 52 weeks a year, but also doing the contender series and everything that goes along with that, which I don't do. Um, but yeah, I mean, he is a guy who is certainly monitoring our every utterance and you try to be clean and you try to not hear from him, right? No news is good news most of the time. Um, but they entrust me with a lot, which for sure, you know, I do more post fight interviews than, than anybody just in terms of my schedule. Um, I take every responsibility they give me. I'm seeing a in, in front of a pay-per-view crowd when Joe Rogan can't be there. I take it all very seriously. And, uh, you know, thankfully he's kept me around this long. You know, I don't take it for granted. You know, I, I understand that there's always going to be sensitivities from, from the execs and, uh. I'm only as good as my last show. So hopefully in my hometown of Boston, it's a clean one feeling. You know?
0: yeah. No, I mean, that's one of the, you know, for someone that's that's young like myself and, and interested in potentially broadcasting or the executive side of sports, It's what I said to you uh, when you we were, we were messaging uh, a while back, is is you really are truly the one person that I, that I look up to as, as someone who's, you know, the gold standard of professionalism and preparation. And I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that I also saw in one of your interviews was, you talking about how you feel like this was back in 2012 that every single time you're cage side you feel like you need to prove yourself that you don't take it for granted and you know in that you don't even like you I see that from the fact that you're still here for so long but even my question my next question is you know keeping that same energy from that first fight to that last fight, the same way that you've kept that energy from your first time cage side to now your time cage side. How do you keep that same drive and that passion? Is it because you love it so much? Is it because it's a job? Is it because it's a mixture of all those things? Well, it's tricky. You
1: know, I think for anyone who performs for a living, at least for me, you know, there is going to be some performance anxiety. It's not when I'm at the arena, but sometimes during fight week or on fight day, you know, you get in your own head a little bit and you're sort of thinking not unlike maybe a fighter thinks. I mean, I hate to even compare what we do to fighting, but it's like, you know, why do I do this for a living? Right. Because there is some pressure on you in these situations. And sometimes you feel like, hey, maybe there'd be an easier way to make a living, you know, and uh, you try to eliminate those thoughts because this is my dream job and this is what I want to do Um But, you know, it's tricky. I mean, you try to stay out of your own head as best you can and just be confident in your skills and just be confident that all the repetitions that you've had before you get to the big show um, have been put in well. I mean, I appreciate what you say about the preparation, you know, Um, and my producers have certainly said to me, like, don't ever lose that, you know, not like you don't have anything else going for you, but uh, keep preparing because that's something that you can always control. And uh, that's the thing is like it's evolved. It's gotten better. I can't say I put in more time because there's always been um, just so many hours, but the way we do it has definitely evolved.
0: How does one improve as a commentator?
1: Well, the the toughest thing to your question earlier is you have to watch and listen to yourself. You know, even like my podcast that I do on Mondays, I got to go back and listen to those if I want to get better, right? If I want to get cleaner and eliminate verbal crutches, like I always say, you know, Uh, so I think the only way is to watch yourself and listen to, uh, the people close to you, uh, whether it's your bosses or, uh, your brothers and just, yeah, I mean, you can't be getting worse. That's the thing. Right. And you mentioned the energy and thankfully with these live events, the energy around you, uh, is something you feed off of. Certainly when you have energetic broadcast partners, uh, like DC and Rogan and everybody else that sits in those seats, it helps. Um, but it's, uh, it's definitely an energetic atmosphere and one that is unlike anything that I've experienced in pro sports.
0: Will you talk about your chemistry of sitting and commentating next to DC, Dominic Cruz, Rogan? Um, how do you guys, how do you feel like over the years you've improved and how does, you know, what's it really like when you're in that booth? Cause you know, I'm, you know, I watch UFC every weekend and we see the fight one way and you guys are cage side, you see it a different way. But talk about how that dynamic of not only like, Just literally visually how it's different from watching a fight on tv but also how you guys work together and how that's maybe improved and worked on that chemistry over the years
1: well it's incredible it's amazing to think how many different broadcast combinations we've had for me in eight years probably 15 different combinations and they all bring so many different skills and and personality traits to the table you know, largely in a three-man booth, I damn well better have something good to say if I'm going to get in there, right? Because to my right is one of the greatest of all time in D.C. and and Joe Rogan, who is a future Hall of Famer in his own right. So, MMA play-by-play play inherently is different than football, right? Whereas I'm calling the play, the analyst talks about it, and then third down and six, it's like, that's me, right? It's very clear, like, you're supposed to talk right now, and Troy Aikman is not. Um, so I think we've sort of gotten better at sort of staying in our lane as far as the broadcast is concerned. Um But it is just uh, it's incredible, man, working with all of these guys. I mean, I truly am so blessed. And I, I, you know, I know when it comes to like the sports Emmys, like mixed martial arts isn't necessarily going to get recognized. I mean, what an absolute travesty that Joe Rogan has never received a sports Emmy for all the years he's been doing the UFC. Um, But I just for whatever reason, it's I don't know. uh, I think I'm an old man, but I think it's an old man's game. Like, I think the veterans are going to be rewarded with the gold and that's absolutely fine. Um, but I just think largely our MMA analysts, the fighters, don't get nearly the national credit they deserve for being as good as anybody on NFL Live or any other show that, that, I, that you could trot out
0: there. I think it's definitely coming soon, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think, what, what is it like when you guys are not on booth and you're just, do you, do you hang out with DC and Rogan and do you guys joke around? Is it like a, you know, is it family now because you guys spend so much time together?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, when I was calling fights with Brian Stan, we would eat every meal together. I mean, it was like truly a spouse on the road. Um, But yeah, I mean, all the time. I mean, I think that only is going to help your chemistry. You know, Dominic and I have gotten very close, you know, certainly with D.C. And, you know, don't get to eat dinner with Rogan as much as I used to because now I'm doing those post shows. But it it certainly is going to help us in the booth uh, when we're breaking bread together. And it's always a pleasure, you know being able to dine and, and spend time with just absolute legends. You know, it's weird when you find yourself, at least for me, it was a few years ago, you know, 2013 sitting in a hotel room, talking about fighting with Domina Cruz. It's like, feel like I should be like recording this right now. Um, and, uh, now he's one of my best friends. So, uh, as is DC. So it's been great, man. You know, Paul Felder's a, a great dude. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, never a dull moment i'm hoping to get a chance to work with bisping a little bit more because he is just uh, a crazy bastard we share a sense of humor and uh, he's a, a great broadcaster obviously as you guys have seen over the last you know year or so
0: how do you um how do you not do you get nervous when you see those guys that you know pretty well get in the cage do you and how do you not keep a bias towards them because of course you know probably dc better than you know most i mean you probably get to know a lot of the fighters but Of course, you want to probably, I don't want to say you want to see DC win, but that's still your, that's still your boy. So how do you, how do you keep, not keep that bias?
1: Oh, I want to see D.C. beat Stipe. I mean, make no (laughs) mistake about it, but it's very easy to keep that out of it. You know, I watch back the first 16 minutes of his second fight with Stipe, and I stand by the call. I thought D.C. won all three rounds. You know, there's no narrative. There's no preconceived thought as to how we're going to call a fight. You know, sometimes maybe we go too far down a line to the average fan. We... Control the public perception sometimes, and that just comes with the territory. I wish that wasn't always the case, because um, to your point, we can disagree, and you guys can disagree with how a fight plays out. But oh, absolutely hate calling fights involving my friends. Hate calling Felder Barboza, too. Hate calling Cormier against A Might call out of a fight if I ever have to call Domina Cruz's fight. No, there's nothing fun about it. It's very anxious. Um, but that said, it's just like Bellator 1. Once the red light is on, once the fight starts, the, for, I'm not thinking about him uh, as my friend whatsoever. You know, you, you're really not.
0: Do you feel the magnitude of some of the the bigger fights that you've called? I mean, for uh, I mean, the big one that stands out to me is, of course, Conor Khabib last year. Did you feel? Do you feel like there's a special, different kind of energy for a fight of that magnitude? Yes, but God, like you're asking
1: me after Adesanya Whitaker a couple weeks ago, which felt enormous, right? So, as I said earlier, the the championship setting in the UFC is unlike anything professional sports so for me I get butterflies I mean for Covington Lawler with no belt on the line I get butterflies not for the broadcasting part of it the fan in me gets butterflies as I'm sure you do as if your team is in a a playoff game or the Super Bowl it's a very similar feeling Um, so I would put most of those title fights Habib and Abu Dhabi very close to to conor khabib um but you certainly want to be sharp those nights and uh you know more anxious packing your suitcase i think those weeks than others
0: do you think we're gonna see a conor khabib too well khabib is a
1: champion like israel adesanya and like max holloway they want to fight the number one contender right and connor's gonna have to become the number one lightweight contender it would seem to me for khabib to take that fight he's good at skipping the Uh, line though (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's very good, and and certainly I would think one win would put him in yeah. line. I think Habib would acknowledge him with one victory as the number one contender, uh, as long as Tony gets his opportunity. But you're starting to see these champions out of giving part of his moment to Paolo Costa, Max Holloway giving Alexander Volkanovsky the title fight in a reasonable time frame. You know you're seeing a lot of these champions who want to fight the best guy, the number one contender, and Habib is certainly that guy. Um, So you're basically asking me if I think Conor is going to beat Justin Gaethje or whomever he shares the octagon with. And uh, I will say no comment on that. But uh, I think if he wins a fight, the rematch uh, could materialize. But Tony obviously is a live dog against Khabib. So uh, a lot would have to align for that fight to happen in my humble
0: opinion. In In your humble opinion, who do you think is the greatest mixed martial artist of all time? Oh jeez Felix
1: ah uh, you know there's so many different ways you really could go with this i mean john jones is certainly the first name that comes to mind tiago santos fight was very close and i think Because our sport is so young, we're allowed to have the greatest of all time conversation because we're only 30 or so years into this. Uh, But one loss can all of a sudden swing the pendulum, right? If you think DJ beat Henry Cejudo, as many people do, uh, is he not the greatest of all time? But certainly for me, skill for skill, the best fighter that I've ever seen is
0: Jon Jones. Where do you see the UFC on a global scale in five to ten years? I mean, at this point, it's even harder to think that it could get bigger. But do you see it getting even bigger?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the magnitude of the show can get bigger, right? We're doing 41 shows a year, and I think it's not out of the realm of possibility that you would have 20% of the schedule be like that Melbourne show where you have 50,000 plus. So I think that would be the trend, Uh, but it's amazing how big we are globally, right? I mean, we go to Australia, and it's like, dude they are rabid i mean everybody everybody who works at the airport has watched the ufc the night before you know uh and that is not the case in the united states of america so i still as i do interviews like this will contend that i hope that we can continue to build the domestic footprint and uh and and use this ESPN platform uh to our to our utmost advantage you know
0: and then on a personal note, where do you think? I mean, you're you're 41 now. You're still you say you're old. Oh. You're still quite you're still quite young. Oh. Come on, uh, where do you see? Like, how does how do you go forward as well? Is there do you have any career goals? Is there more you want to do? I mean, you know, you're you're the lead play-by-play commentator for the UFC. It, you know, most people say, okay, well, that's I've reached my my final destination. How do you keep pushing yourself to do more? And and what does that look like for you?
1: well, I think kids are the ultimate motivator. Uh, I am a huge NFL fan and I think I, I would be lying if I said I wouldn't like to, uh, having done a couple college football games, get a chance to do an NFL game. Um, you know, before I put the headset down for good. Um, but you know, my kids are a huge motivator for me. Uh, and I don't know, like the UFC has ruined a lot of other sports for me, right? Like I can't even sit through a major league baseball at bat anymore. So if you had asked me 15 years ago, I would have been, Oh, maybe, you know, maybe do that Red Sox grind at some point. And it's like, there's no way I can't even, you know, I can't even, I got to lock my phone up to watch a single at bat. Um, but I love football. You know, I do love having part of my NFL Sundays at home with the family, obviously. But uh, I think the NFL poll will always be there. I wouldn't mind going back to Boston and being on the radio five days a week and being able to be home with my kids an extra hundred nights a year. So there's that tug as well. Um, I really don't know, you know, I guess part of me would love to just crawl in a hole and be a stay at home dad and, uh, coach my kids, but I, am not sure that's in the cards.
0: Um, you do, you do talk a lot and I think it's, it's remarkable how you're able to balance being on the road and, and your kids are clearly the, the focal point of your life. I and mean, you, you talk about it a little bit, but what is it like managing a family with three kids, a wife and being on the road and these vast variety of countries and towns and cities all the time? Well,
1: I'm glad you got a young start on the microphone, my man. I don't know. You don't strike me as someone who's got a bunch of kids hanging around, but, uh, (laughs) It's uh, it's a, a balancing act for sure. Right. And you just try to be as invested as humanly possible when you're home, you know, because everything cuts into it. You know, podcast every Monday, um, you know, interviews like this, everything cuts into it, you know. But uh, I got a little baby. Right. I made the mistake or I, I made the decision. I mean, my <laughs> wife better not see this. We made the decision to run it back after our two daughters were were off and running, you know, eight and six years old. So, no, we got a baby boy. And uh,
0: here's the first boy of the it, family.
1: How about that? You've done your research. Yeah, we got like six girls and uh, he is certainly the king. So um, but no, it's a lot for sure. Um, But that's why, like, I'm a Boy Scout on the road and I'm just in my room filling out
0: fighter cards because, uh, you know, when I'm home, I really try to be in it with the kids as much as possible. All right. Just to wrap things up, how do you want to be remembered when it's all said and done? The legacy of John Anik as a as a commentator or perhaps even more? Gosh, it's so hard when, you know, when you're a
1: father, right, to even think about anything, you know, like because a lot of the burden that we have on ourselves as individuals to succeed or to provide, you know, whatever it is, once you have kids – it's like they become the center of your life, whereas you've always been the center of your life. So they're the center of my life, right? So that's really my legacy. Um certainly I hope my UFC legacy is of somebody who contributed a lot to the sport and helped us, you know, just get cleaner and better across the board when it comes to the broadcast, whether it comes to pronunciations or professionalism or whatever you want to say. You know, it's something I take very seriously. And I feel like our whole approach is just very different than it was in 2011 uh compared to what it is here eight nine years later so hopefully that would be part of my legacy but uh yeah man you know it's just on to the next show and uh i guess there'll be time to reflect hopefully one day if we can uh you know keep keep running on the treadmill or something dude but 41 man i mean
0: what year were you born felix can i ask what year you were born what, what age do you what, what year do you think i was born
1: I mean, you you seem uh, very well spoken, but that doesn't Thanks mean you much. can't be 18, 19 years old. You know, well, so I, what's don't your wanna, final prediction? I don't want I don't want to disrespect you and uh, say I will not you're be eighteen years of age. I mean, are you are you? I'm 20? nineteen. I'm nineteen years of age. Not, good for you. I mean,
0: good for you. Thank you very you know? much.
1: Um, no children.
0: <laughs> well, no, I, no, not yet. I think my, <laughs> my, my my mom would be a a little uh, bit worried about that. Well, um, that's great. Good for you,
1: man. Not really good for you. So, what year were you born then? If you're two thousand, I'm a two thousand
0: absolutely incredible <laughs> anyways john i wanted to before we, before we, before i let you go crazy because i this what you don't know i i don't use twitter i just created a twitter and i've never tweeted at someone to get them on the podcast and i when i the way that this even came about is because i randomly tweeted at you by literally a long shot that i thought in my head i said you know fuck it like Maybe, maybe he'll respond. And I remember then I took, I actually was exhausted. I took a nap and I woke up to, to your message and I was, I was, I thought I was still napping. I was shocked and surprised. And I, and I sent it to my friend Jonah, who's a huge fan of yours and a huge fan of the UFC. And I said, you won't believe who I'm getting on the podcast. I mean, I've had UFC, I've had Eric Anders on, I've had Heather Hardy, like I've had some great people, but you are such a difference, like a niche kind of uh, domain, but I just want to say, as someone who as you now know i'm nineteen uh very into to broadcasting and uh and to potentially the executive side of sports and sports in general a huge fan of 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 you and the ufc it's a uh, it's a tremendous honor and uh, you know as i said you're the for me the the gold standard of of professionalism and broadcasting and preparation and and gives me gives me a good model of what i hope to to become, if if just a fraction of you. So thank you so much for taking the time. It was uh, truly an honor
1: dude likewise man I appreciate those words a lot I really do I mean that I think is a huge part of the you know the imprint that you'd hope to make Uh, and while it does make me feel old it it really does mean a lot to me it really does and and it would to my family if they could hear it so thank you for that man keep up the grind I mean whatever you want to do man I mean the world's your oyster at 19 years of age though uh, to have this all up and running I mean I just launched a goddamn YouTube channel like three weeks ago right for a show that's five years old okay so uh, just keep
0: doing your thing and uh Uh, be happy to chat with you again you know down the line i would you're always welcome on and uh, i'll be i mean i'm at ufc boston next week i'm on the floor 10th row if if but if there's any chance i can shake your hand and say what's up to you i would absolutely love that
1: we will make that happen absolutely i appreciate it
0: thank you so much john all right buddy have a good day all right pleasure see ya